0: Luke 11, hopefully you're already there because I gave you a pretty big heads up. We're going to jump right in, starting with verse 29, Luke chapter 11, verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with, the gener- with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to recline. Uh, to to dine with him. uh, And so he went and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, O you Pharisee, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms to those things that are within and behold everything is clean for you but woe to you Pharisee for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God these you should have done without neglecting the others woe to you Pharisees for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greens in the marketplace woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he may say. I want to preach to us this morning a sermon on this passage, and I'm going to tag my sermon the Pharisee in all of us. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we ask that You would speak to us this morning through Your Word. We pray that You would remove any barriers that we might have to hearing this morning. Physical barriers. More importantly, spiritual barriers. I pray that we would not merely have physical ears to hear, but that we would have spiritual ears to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. This past winter, I finally laid my 2004 Honda Accord to rest. Just before she died, I had placed a new bumper on the front. For those of you that know me, you knew that for a number of months, I drove around with no bumper on the front of my car. My car on the outside looked like a disaster. But finally I bought a bumper, I painted the bumper myself, I fastened it to the front of her. I was fixing up, the, uh, fixing up the outside. My goal was to then paint the back bumper, repaint the back bumper, pull out some dings. The car was looking nice. But little did I know, that fateful winter morning, that she had a leak. She was leaking oil. And she died. But she looked good on the outside. <laughs> I took a picture of her as the truck came to pick her up because she looked so good. You know, it's amazing. As soon as I got my car looking good on the outside, she died. And it's because it wasn't the outside that needed attention, it was the inside. I wonder if there's anybody here in this room who, like my car, would say, I need to be fixed on the inside, not so much the outside. In our fallen condition as human beings, we don't need religious duty necessarily. What we need is a transformation on the inside. Our problem isn't that we don't have enough rules to follow. Our problem is much more significant than that, and that is a word called unrighteousness. Everybody say unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Well, what is unrighteousness? Well, we could turn and ask The question another way, what is righteousness? Everybody say, righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? A lot of times we define righteousness or we think of righteousness as being defined by external things that we do, rules that we follow, morals that we live by. That person is a righteous person. What do we mean by that? Well, they do a lot of good things externally. That's not how the Bible understands righteousness. Righteousness is much more than just external rules. External conformity. Righteousness, according to the Scriptures, is really to just have the same character as God. It's to have a likeness with God. It is to share mutual interests with God. At one time, humans were righteous. There were only two at this time, Adam and Eve. God created them righteous. They they had the likeness of God. They shared mutual interests with God. The way that God thought was the way that they thought. They were righteous. In order to have a relationship with anybody, you have to have some level of mutual interest, don't you? In order for us to have a relationship together, we have to have a sense of likeness, similar character. Without likeness, similar character, mutual interest, you cannot have a relationship with somebody. Well, what happened then when Adam fell from God? When Adam fell into sin, his righteousness was lost. He no longer shared likeness with God. He no longer had mutual interest with God. He no longer had the same character of God, but rather Adam fell into sin. And so did the entire human race. Here we are as human beings, descendants of Adam. We share not in the likeness of God, but in the likeness of Adam. We share not in the character of God, but in the character of Adam. In our fallen condition, We are absolutely broken. We are absolutely separated from God, and there is no way that we could ever have a relationship with God because we lack righteousness. And so here we are as fallen human beings trying to do some things. Trying to clean up the outside. Trying, trying to live according to some principles and morals. Yet the real problem is so much deeper than external transformation. It is a lack of righteousness. What we need is righteousness. I'm getting ahead of myself in my sermon here. But I hope you're following with me. I hope you understand the problem that we face. Fallen man needs change. Not externally, but internally. In our passage today, we see a full-on clash with Pharisees and scribes. Who are the Pharisees and who are the scribes? Pharisees were a certain class of religious leaders in Jesus' day in Israel. Pharisees took it upon themselves to watch over the people and to really make sure that the people were conforming to the law of God. In order to do so, they had embraced hundreds of additional rules that they had come up with as well as other teachers and rabbis. Rules that were far beyond anything that God required that helped shape a, a people externally. Meaning it doesn't really matter what's going on on the inside, all of their rules made it look like there was a whole lot going on on the outside. The Pharisees, however, had a problem, and that was they focused on the outside, they focused on external righteousness, yet on the inside they were unrighteous. Same with the scribes. scribes were another class. Of religious leaders Here in our text, they're called lawyers. Scribes and lawyers. These two terms are synonymous. Scribes were people who were experts in the law of God. They were theologians, if you would. They could explain the law of God. They could apply the law of God. They would write legal documents. They too, along with the Pharisees, would work in tandem overseeing the people. And like the Pharisees, the scribes had the same problem, and that is, they knew all of these caveats, they knew all of these rules, and they knew exactly how to get out of them themselves. They knew how to enforce the law, but they didn't know how to follow the law. Like the Pharisees, they had some external forms of righteousness, but inside, there was no righteousness. They lacked righteousness. The character of God. They were missing the heart of God. And as a result, Jesus says this in verse 39, Now you Pharisees, here's the problem. You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and of wickedness. I want to look at the Pharisees today, and I want us to be honest with ourselves and recognize that there is a little Pharisee in all of us. I want to break this text up into three headings. Number one, the reality of rejecting Christ. Number two, the result of rejecting Christ. And number three, the reason for rejecting Christ. First, in verses 29-32, through we see the reality of rejecting Christ. I'm going to make up a little parable for you this morning. There was a warrior on a hunt. And he saw just the shadow of a lion. That shadow was enough for the warrior. And he responded accordingly. A second warrior came along. And he saw not just the shadow, but he saw the lion face to face. He came face to face with the beast, but he was in denial. He did not respond accordingly, and the lion devoured him. At his funeral, the first warrior came and just hung his head in shame for this second warrior. The first warrior saw nothing more than the shadow and responded. Oh, how foolish this man was who came face to face with the lion and did not respond. This is what Jesus is saying about this generation who is following the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus is saying, previous generations saw merely shadows. You've come face to face and you haven't responded. First, call to the witness stand the men of Nineveh. The prosecutor asks the men of Nineveh Did you hear the authentic word of God? Yes, we did. Did you respond? Yes, we repented. Who was your preacher? Jonah, I rest my case, (laughs) Jonah, this comic figure, this rebel prophet, ran from God, ended up in the belly of a fish, spit up on dry land, reluctantly preached the gospel, the call to repent, and the men of Nineveh responded, in verse 32, to Jonah, and someone greater than Jonah is here, and you're not responding. Second to the witness stand, the Queen of Sheba. Here in the text called the Queen of the South, you can read about her in 1 Kings chapter 10. She heard of the wisdom of Solomon, she traveled thousands of miles to see with her own eyes because she couldn't believe what she heard about this man and his God, Yahweh. She sees him, she blesses his God, I believe she worships his God, and she returns. The prosecutor asks, did you hear the authentic word of God? I did. Who did you hear it from? Solomon. I rest my case. Solomon. Who was Solomon? A great wise king. He built a kingdom. But Solomon was pretty foolish, wasn't he? He made a whole lot of mistakes. And what Jesus is saying is that the queen of the south received Solomon's testimony as the authentic word of God. And in verse 31, you have one greater than Solomon before you. You're standing in front of the lion himself. You've come face to face with the authentic word of God. And you are rejecting him. What is the result? Well, Jesus goes on with an illustration to show us the result of rejecting Christ. He tells us in verses 33 through 36 an illustration. Nobody takes a light, lights a lamp. And, and, and hides the light. No, you, you set it on a stand to give light to everyone around the room. It just makes sense. We were camping last weekend, and, and I had three boys in my cabin, and they had a lamp in the cabin, and they set it in the middle of the tent. I, I don't mean cabin, I mean tent. We didn't have the luxury of cabins. Uh, it set it in the middle of the tent and it gave light to everyone in the tent. That's how a light works. That's the function of a light. He goes on to say, your eye is the lamp of your body. Meaning, if your eyes are working, your whole body is functioning properly. Your whole body is given light. Your whole body can see. But if this, I mean, th- everybody just think of your, how small your eyes are. If if this part of your body doesn't work. If your eyes don't work, then it brings darkness to your whole body, meaning your whole body can't see. It's simple. It's a simple logical illustration, isn't it? Who's he referring to? I believe he's referring to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's about to address them directly. I think he's got to at least be looking at them as he's giving this teaching. I, I, meaning, be careful. And we see this. This is the point of it. Uh, uh, be careful in, in uh, uh, verse 35, lest the light in you be darkness. If your eyes can't see, the whole body is going to suffer. If your eyes are the scribes and Pharisees, and you're letting them lead you, If they are dark, the whole body will be dark. If they are blind, the whole body will be blind. The application is simple. Be careful who your leaders are. There are a lot of churches out there with pastors who do not preach Christ crucified. With teachers who tell you how great you are with teachers who glorify humans, with teachers who preach prosperity or wealth or happiness. But they don't preach Christ. And if we don't preach Christ, then we have no light. And if we have no light in our eyes, then the whole body is dark. Let's set churches aside for a second. We have other teachers in life. In the media. On social media, YouTube videos, podcasts, friends in the neighborhood. Who are the people you're learning a world view from? Who are the people that are teaching you about life? Be careful who your teachers are. The end result of missing Christ is darkness. Utter darkness. Darkness. That is a biblical sign of judgment of God's wrath. You don't want to be in the dark. We then move on into verses 37 and 41. And I ask this question at this point, why is it that we are so prone to this? To this massive miss of Jesus Christ? Well, we see it in these next verses. And before I get to these verses, let me give you a personal confession. If you were to walk into my bedroom and look at my dresser, you're going to see drawers that are neatly closed. But if you were to open up my drawers, you would see a disaster. You remember when you were a kid and your mom would tell you to clean up your clothes? and your shoes, and you would just ball your clothes up and stuff them into the drawers and close it, and you would throw your shoes into some chaotic mess in the closet? Well, I never got over that. The Lord never sanctified me beyond that. Now, I've thought long and hard, why do I just ball my clothes up and stuff it in the drawer. It doesn't matter if it's a sock drawer or a shirt drawer or a pants drawer. I don't have any. My wife tells me which drawer is which, and then I just do my thing. Why? I think it's because it's easier. <laughs> it's hard. And it takes a lot of work to fold a shirt. Can somebody say amen? No? Can all the fellas say amen? Amen. (laughs) Uh, Did you notice how deep the amen was when I just asked for that? Well, it's easy to clean up the outside and very difficult to clean up the inside. It's, It's easier for us to look tidy. It's easier for us to put on a face. It's easier for us to go about as if we have it all together even though there is chaos on the inside. We are now in a Pharisee's house. Jesus has been invited to dinner. And the Pharisee is astonished because Jesus does not wash. Now, it's not just a germ issue. This is a legalistic rule that they have adopted. You must wash before dinner because in their mind, you have been going about life and you've been interacting with sinners and you have that impurity of of the sinner on you. And so you wash. Well, what does that say about you if you follow this practice? Oh, I'm so holy myself. I have no impurity myself. I just have to wash off the impurity of others. It's a pious practice. It just shows the, everybody how, how pure and wonderful and righteous I am. Now, Jesus is actually the only one who could do this rightly, right? He is the pure one. He is the righteous one. But he has no time to play these Pharisaic games. And so he doesn't wash. And it leads to this clash where Jesus looks at the Pharisee and he says, here's your problem. You clean up the outside of the cup or the dish. But the inside is filled with wickedness, with greed. And here's his logic in verse 40. He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Meaning you focus on the outside, okay, well and good, don't neglect that. But what about the inside? Did he not make your soul? Did he not make your heart? Is he not the one who is the giver of your attitudes and your emotions? Is is God not the God of your inside as well as your outside? Well, at this point, we are led to what is the heaviest list of woes or condemnations in the gospel against the Pharisees and against the scribes. Let me briefly go through these with you. As Jesus looks at these Pharisees, as he looks at the scribes, and he condemns them. He goes on a rant verse 42 he says you look religious you tithe your herbs that's far beyond what god has required of you yet you neglect justice and love you do all of these things yet at the very core of who you are you don't live out these principles of justice oh you talk about justice you know these people You talk about justice, yet you participate in schemes that harm the poor. You talk about anti-racism, yet you have no friends of a different race. You talk about how much you care for the poor, yet you are filled with greed. You talk about how much you love the church, yet you neglect the church. You're not in anybody's lives. Secondly, in verse 43, they love attention. They love to be seated in the front of the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love to be recognized in church. They love to be seen. They love shout-outs on social media, media. In verse 44, He says they're just leading people to death. Look at verse 44 with me. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. it. If you add up all of these condemnations together, they just lead to death. He's saying people are coming to you and they don't realize they are coming to their death. Now at this point, the scribes or the lawyers... They speak up. And I actually think it's hilarious. He says in verse 45, one of the lawyers answers him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. You're not just insulting them. The Pharisees, you're kind of making us feel bad. And Jesus basically says, I'm not finished yet. I've got words for you too. Oh, woe to you scribes, you lawyers. What does he say to them? Verse 46, hypocrisy. You know how to load up burdens on people, yet you don't lift a finger. I think what he means by that is you know how to tell people what to do, and you know how to wiggle yourself out of that very advice. You know how to be the expert on, in, in marriage, even though your marriage is falling apart. You know how to be the expert in singleness, even though you despise your own singleness. You know how to be the expert in purity, even though you know how to get away with lust. You know how to be the expert in success, even though you can't even show up to a job. It's just hypocrisy. He goes on in verses 47 through 51. And he points out that they reject the prophets, meaning they are in the category of people who, for all of the Old Testament, rejected the prophets, rejected the Word of God, rejected the authenticity of these men who came with a word. And they killed them. If you look at verse 47, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers What's he talking about there? During this, during this era, there was this massive movement to build monuments to Old Testament prophets who were martyred for the faith. So they're building monuments to Abel. They're building a monument to Zechariah, Abel being the first uh, uh, martyr in the Bible, Zechariah being the last martyr in the Hebrew Scriptures. They're building these monuments and these scribes and probably the Pharisees as well would have been at the very core of building these monuments because it, it made them look so pious. And what Jesus is saying is you're not building monuments to them, you're building tombs. You're building tombstones. You're building graves. You are complicit in the murder of these men. And as a result, he goes on, In verse 52, you've taken away the key to knowledge. Whatever truth there was to be known, the key to knowledge being Jesus Christ Himself, you've lost it and and you've hindered those others from coming to knowledge. This all leads to verse 53 and 54. You scribes, you Pharisees, complicit in the murder of the prophets, they are about to move toward the murder of the ultimate prophet. Look at how they respond in these two verses. When he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. Get on with it. Kill kill this prophet. Fill up the cup of God's wrath. For this is who you are. What does this mean for us? First, we need to recognize that there is a Pharisee in all of us. We need to recognize that there is a little Pharisee lurking in all of us. It is so easy to just simply think of the Pharisee as some extreme religious teacher who piles up rules on people without realizing that the Pharisee lies in all of us. Yes, these kind of teachers are certainly good examples of modern-day Pharisees, but it's much, they are much more than that. Jesus doesn't collide with the Pharisees all throughout the Gospels just to get on to some minority category of people. All of these clashes are for us to see our own unrighteousness. Matthew Henry, an old theologian, he said that today Christ in His Spirit in His Word and in His ministers is no better treated. Meaning, we don't treat Jesus and His Word, in His Spirit, in His ministers, any better than the Pharisees did in His own day. The question is, do you fully accept God's Word? Do you read it and receive it and obey it? Do you find ways to wiggle yourself out of God's Word? Are you quicker to point your finger at somebody else who's not following God's Word even though you know that you've got your own caveat? Do you focus on your own righteousness as opposed to relying on the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you focus and care more about what you look like externally than what you look like internally? It's easy to point the finger at others. That's what Pharisees do. It's very hard to say, I see myself in the Pharisee. I see myself in the Pharisee. I often go for the praise of man more than I'm Concerned with personal, quiet faithfulness. I'm also more concerned with acceptance by others than I am with the fact that God accepts me in Christ. I don't know if you've ever tried to dive into a swimming, swimming pool with two inches of water. Well, if you did, you probably wouldn't be here. It might look like a full pool of water, but if there's only two inches there, if that's all you've got, you're going to die. If your spiritual life is this deep, you're going to die. I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, drink out of a cup that was cleaned on the outside but had poison on the inside. If we just simply focus on the external, we are going to die. What we need is so much more than external transformation. We need to be transformed on the inside. And that leads me to the point of this sermon. I don't want to leave you discouraged. I don't want to leave you in shame. I don't want to leave you in guilt. That is the antithesis of the Gospel. The point of this sermon is this. Jesus died for Pharisees. He died for Pharisees just like us. I don't know if you notice this little turn in Luke, but right there on 53 and 54, we see a turn toward the cross. Jesus is in this full clash with the Pharisees. And Luke tells us in verse 54 that they are lying in wait for Him to catch Him. This is leading us to Calvary. That word lying in wait, combined with the word catch, are words that are used for hunting. The picture that we have of these Pharisees is that they are like hunters, crouching, hiding, waiting to catch a lion. But here's the key. They will never do it. Because this is the Lion of Judah. And He cannot be caught by them. He is all-powerful. They can never seize Him. They will never be able to catch Him in something wrong so as to try Him and put Him on the cross. The only way this man will go to the cross is if He does so willingly. It's if a lion becomes a lamb. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but NFL teams never get named the lambs. They always have names like the Eagles, the Lions, the Falcons, Jaguars, the Bengals, Predators, right? The lambs, that would that would come across as weak. Lambs are weak. Lambs get slaughtered. Wrap your mind around this church. The Lion of Judah became a lamb. The God of all strength laid it aside and became weak so that the weak might be made strong. He willingly will go to the cross. Do the Pharisees realize that He will go to the cross. Not because of them. Not because of their strategies against Him. But because of their sin. Do the Pharisees realize that Jesus will go to the cross to die for people just like them? Do the scribes realize that Jesus is about to go to the cross to bear the punishment for people just like them? Oh church, if we just focus on the outside of the cup, we will be lost. What we need is to cleanse the inside, but how can we cleanse the inside? That's why we focus on the outside, because we can't do anything about the inside It needs to be done for us. It needs to be grace. It needs to be someone who has the power and ability to cleanse us from within. I wonder if you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We need something to happen to us we need to be like the leper who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if You're willing, la- yeah. make me clean. Yeah. Based on this truth, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There is no amount of external change that we can do that would cause us to be cleansed within. This is why Jesus went to the cross to die for us. Jesus hung on the cross not to give us a list of rules, but to give us righteousness. Because what we need is to be like God. What we need is the character of God, the likeness of God. And that is something that we can never do on our own, and so Jesus does it for us. He gives us His righteousness. But before He donates His righteousness into our account, Jesus cleanses us. Because what purpose is there to give us His righteousness if we are not forgiven of our sins? Oh, we get both. On the cross, Jesus dies for us. He takes the wrath of God for us. He cleanses us of our iniquity, of our blood guilt. He cleanses us of our Pharisaism. And then He gives us righteousness. God declares us to be righteous. To be made right. To be like Him. Compare the Pharisees' response to Jesus with the response of John the Baptist to Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29. The Pharisees see Jesus and they say, we don't need you. We're doing our own thing. And we're doing it just fine. We're building our own righteousness. We're changing the outside. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. I am so thankful that the lion became a lamb. I am so thankful that Jesus willingly laid down His life to take away the sins of the world because without that, I would have nothing but the Pharisee. Without Christ, I would have nothing but a vain attempt at righteousness. But with Him, I have everything. He died for me. And three days later, He rose from the dead for me. And I, through repenting and believing, trusting in Jesus Christ, have everything I need. I am called and you are called to turn from your self-righteousness and to trust the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We now stand before God declared righteous. We don't make ourselves better. He declares us better because we share in christ and sharing in christ we share in the character of god and so we have peace romans chapter 5 verse 1 being justified by faith we have peace with god so we don't have to impress him because god is already impressed with jesus We don't have to seek out the acceptance of others because God has already accepted us in Jesus. We don't have to seek out the praise of others because we have a relationship with God. We don't need to embrace hundreds of additional rules to live by because we have the righteousness of Christ. And so, church, we do live differently, we are changed. But I don't know if you've ever washed a cup before. But if you have, as you wash out the inside, the outside just gets clean. It's not because we're focusing on the outside, but because we are focusing on what He has done on the inside. And so what is our response? Then we just worship Him. We worship Him. We worship Him because He's done everything for us. There is nobody who is going to be in heaven, that says, behold, look at me. Nobody's going to get to the throne of God in the new heavens and the new earth and say, behold, I did so much for God, everybody. Here I am. Nobody will say, behold, I changed the external and I have arrived. No, everybody in heaven will sing the same chorus. And that's the chorus of John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed be His name. All power and all glory go to this Lamb. Behold, church. Behold Him. The Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank You For the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Lion of Judah, who could have devoured us in his wrath, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. God, let us repent of our Phariseeism. Let us repent of our external forms of righteousness. Help us, God, to trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that we would now and forever sing that song with all of the saints who have gone before us and all of the saints who are to come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.